Hello. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome back to the Diet Ride Podcast with Brooke and Melissa. Both Millers, both from the Midwest, both moms. Oh, they're all M's. Miller, mom, Midwest. You're really good at finding letters what? that correlate. And we both have kids, little boys, and their names start with A's. Aiden and Ashton. No way to make that an M. No. Bummer. And both dietitians. Both dietitians. We both are tube feeding dietitians, and we just do this on the side for fun because whoop, whoop. we love talking and getting together. So we might as well record ourselves. It's We're already going to be doing this. True. <laughs> we love talking, and everyone at our work laughs instantly when they heard us. <laughs> We're hilarious. We're just so much fun together. We decided to record it. And yeah, we don't stop talking at work, and now we work from home, so we had to have an excuse to get together and chat. Yeah. <laughs> and it helps keep. Keep us on our toes with uh, current nutrition information, yeah. which has been fun. Oh, up at the top of the podcast, I wanted to discuss... The difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. Oh, I thought we were going to do that in the next one. But that's fine. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Are we? Whoops. That's okay. Well, whatever. We can put it in here. Yeah, I just, we'll put it wherever. I meant to... Maybe you're right. We were going to talk... Whatever. It doesn't matter. Someone asked us on our Instagram, so I want to address it. And originally I was like, oh, we'll do a whole episode about it. But then we don't think we could fill a whole episode with it. No. It'll be a snippet. So all dietitians are nutritionists. Not all nutritionists are dietitians. So nutritionist is like an umbrella term that basically means that you quote unquote specialize in nutrition. However, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist legally. Yes. Literally anybody. You don't even need a high school diploma. Yeah. My son, who is three months old, technically could get a business card. (laughs) He's going to be like, I'm a nutritionist. This breast milk is good. Everybody should drink breast milk. Everyone should drink breast milk. I don't know why your son just turned into Elvis. I don't know. I only have like six accents and Elvis is apparently one of them. And also Leprechaun. Yeah. See? Could have gone either way. Anyways. Our kids kids could be nutritionists. Give nutrition advice. Anyone who gives nutrition advice is considered a nutritionist. However, that being said, without disrespecting some nutritionists who have worked very hard towards a degree or a master's or whatever... There are some certified nutritionists that have certain certifications. However, the certification process, there's like thousands of different certifications out there. Some of them are like, you just have to pass this quiz. Some of them are just pay me money. Some of them are like, hey, you need to go to school for eight years and take, you know, become a doctorate and all this stuff in nutrition. So there's a vast, vast? Yeah. Wide variety. (laughs) Thank you. Of nutritionists who could be all over the board. So I'm not saying don't, if you're already paying a nutritionist to do work, I'm not saying immediately break up with them, but maybe ask them their credentials. Maybe ask them where they went to school. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I've, I've definitely like followed and read articles and stuff um, from different nutritionists. Right. And there's been some that I'm like, wow, they are really knowledgeable. They know like stuff, they, for sure. Even if you have a Bachelor of Science, I feel totally. like, you know, there are some science classes that, you know, if you took some electives that you know, talk about nutrition and food science. I mean, there's some people that know a lot. For sure. Um, 
so yeah, it, it just, it really varies. And then there's also registered dietitians I've met. And I'm like, <laughs> Brooke's face right Girl. Now. Girl. Or boy. Go back to school. What yeah. are you doing? Could be a boy. You never Could know. be a boy. There's not very many. It's like 1% or something. <laughs> yeah. There's like no men in our field. No. I know. There's a few, but yeah. You're just kind of like, what, girl, what are you thinking? Right. So, dietitians, and we do have a podcast on this already, so go back and listen to it. It's just a few episodes ago on how to become a dietitian, what kind of um, training they need to go through, experience, and schooling that they need to go through, and what boards they need to pass to become a dietitian. So, can be a very, not can be, is a very strenuous process. Nutritionists, on the other hand, are, could be anybody. So, just know who you're dealing with. Make sure to ask them nice, like, ask them nicely and respectfully what their credentials are or where they went to school or what they, they have studied. One time I ran into a nutritionist and I was chatting with her. She didn't know I was going to school to become a dietitian. (laughs) We were chatting and I asked her where she learned her information that she now has a private practice based on uh, my mom. That's what she said. I'm not even kidding. She goes, YouTube. my mom was a nutritionist, so she just taught me everything I know. And I was like, not to say that her mom doesn't know anything, but like, if that's your credential that you're telling people, how do you have a business? But she does. I know you not get sued. Totally. That's the other thing too. Well, that's tricky because we could get sued too. We could get sued. Don't sue us. <laughs> well, we have liability insurance. Nutritionists probably do too. Yeah, I don't know. True. But I, don't I would know. think that they'd be more susceptible to like anyways. Doesn't matter. Don't sue anybody. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Um anyways, well I wanted to pop that into apparently today's episode. This is supposed to be for next week's. Whatever, it's fine. It's fine. Someone asked us and I thought it was good to um talk about because in our episode of How to Become a Dietitian it was a very long episode, and we didn't get to it. And someone pointed that out, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably an important distinction people want to know. Yeah, so we can call – Alyssa and I can legally call ourselves registered dietitians, or we can call ourselves registered dietitian nutritionist, mm-hmm. or we can call ourselves a nutritionist. Or we can call each other our names. Or we, we can do call something. each other whatever we want. <laughs> um, and then there are also people I know oh, who, like, went to college with us, and they have a degree in nutrition or dietetics, yes. and they didn't – Get an internship. Right. So they still can call themselves a nutritionist. They still, honestly, totally. they probably know just as much as anybody who went through an internship. Yeah. Um, it's it's so. all super relative. It depends how much you're motivated to learn and how much, you know, and, and what works for you. But um, I do think my favorite way to describe it is all dietitians are nutritionists, not all nutritionists are dietitians because it Correct. kind of separates them out. But... Um, yeah, so I think that answered everyone's question Yeah. on what the differences are. I hope so. I, hope so. I feel like we were pretty clear with the whole, my three-month-old son could be a nutritionist thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, again, not Please to belittle don't actual be offended. Yeah, don't be offended, guys. Come on. Don't be a jerk. Don't sue anybody. Don't be offended. We're all just trying to live life. Okay, so now on to our actual topic today. We're going to talk about binge eating, anorexia nervosa, and bulimia nervosa. Yeah, so last week we colored, we colored, covered. We colored coloring books together. We just <laughs> sat down and colored for a whole day. Um, we covered orthorexia, which is a newer eating disorder, disordered eating pattern um, term. So you can go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened yet. So this week we're going to cover the rest of um, eating disorders. And I feel like at the top of the podcast, middle of the podcast, <laughs> I wanted to say I know that this topic is very sensitive to people 
some people might call it triggering. Yeah. I think there's a lot of landmines that Brooke and I could walk into because, well, I guess I shouldn't speak real. I have never, ever had an eating disorder. <laughs> no, me neither. Okay. I was going to say that, but then I was like, maybe I shouldn't no, say that. No, I haven't. Okay. And, and I, I wouldn't say that's true of a lot of dietitians, though. Right. Which is So we're kind of rare. We're yeah, just I like a agree. rare breed in general, but... Alyssa oh. and I just like food. Like, <laughs> just love food. We so just much. really we became dietitians because we like eating. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and throwing up makes me cry. I hate it. Oh, so, it sounds horrible. It's the worst. <laughs> so I want we want to say we're gonna be as respectful as we can be. We make mistakes in every podcast. I know. Yeah. We get it. No one's really commented on it, but I know in your head you probably are. So we get it. So we're gonna be as sensitive as we can. This is an extremely sensitive topic, and if you are struggling with an eating disorder currently or recovering, maybe don't listen to this episode. Yeah, you may want to skip it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to just do our or best- maybe listen to it. To talk about statistics and- Call your you therapist know. right after. But yeah, I think everybody, if you're concerned that you have an eating disorder, I mean, you really should be in inpatient or outpatient therapy, and yeah. it takes a team. Like, a dietitian yes. alone cannot help you with oh an eating gosh. disorder. So don't just think, oh, these two are dietitians. I mean, a dietitian plays a, a minor role, yeah. I would say, in, yeah, in eating disorder treatment. It's really like a psychiatrist totally. and therapist is really... It is an, a neurological disorder. Yeah, it's a mental illness. Right. Just like depression, just like anxiety. So you need um, the proper help. This is yeah. interesting because when I was in school, we had someone come in from the... Eating Disorder Clinic of Denver. That's not their name. I don't know their name. Denver no, I think Disorder- it's eating, eating Recovery Center. Yeah. I applied for a job there. Okay. <laughs> this is how we differ because I saw a job applied or like a job opening there and I was like, absolutely no. I really wanted Run to do away. it for a while, but now I, I don't think I could so mentally. <sighs> wow. It's a lot. Totally flipped because now I'm kind of like, oh, I think it'd be kind of cool. <laughs> it would be cool, but it'd be really hard. Yes. Totally. It'd be really difficult. And I think it's really hard when you haven't been there. Yeah. And I think that's part of the issue. But then also, <laughs> do you really want somebody who had an eating disorder, who's a dietitian? No. <laughs> it's hard because it could trigger, trigger them you. to relapse. Yeah. So, like, I, I wouldn't think... want anybody who's been through treatment and who's in recovery and who's doing well. I would never want to see somebody relapse. Yeah. And it's just, like, although, like, AA... Yeah. You can only be a sponsor if you've been through it. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess that's a hard... That is a hard question. I'd, I'd be interested to see who's working at those clinics if they've experienced it firsthand. But, and I, I wonder, too, what people hiring if they just don't want to hire somebody who's... Right. You don't. And especially if you're only, like, a few years out of recovery or, you know, whatever. Yeah. That would be really hard. So I think... Anyways, so now I can speak for both of us. Neither one of us have had an eating disorder, struggled through that, honestly. And this is, like, super vulnerable, and I'm sorry if this offends people, but there was a time in my life where I wanted to talk myself into an eating disorder because I wanted to be thinner and I didn't like the way I looked or whatever, and I couldn't because it's a neurological disorder. So, like, when people say, oh, it's just about control, it's just about, like, your appetite, or it's just about um, discipline – no, because I try. And I'm not saying you should ever try to do this. Yeah, is a no, very unhealthy stage in my life. But mentally, I was like wanting to have one of these disorders. No, I can't because I didn't have the neurological disorder. Yeah, there's definitely, and I think genetically too, I think it does run yes. in families. Oh, I have a statistic oh, about good, that. Oh, good, I don't. 
Brooke and I, Brooke has lots of statistics always, and I have very few. So I have two whole statistics today. Um, genetics plays 50 to 80%. A That's role. insane. 50 to 80%, which yeah. is crazy. I don't know anyone in my family who's had an eating disorder, though. Me neither. But maybe they're not honest about it. I've had, I do have family members that have disordered eating. Yeah, there's a difference. But I was pretty lucky. My mom, maybe she doesn't want me to share this. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> my mom was a ballerina. Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. She listens. I know she, she does. does. Oh, she's like she's our, our number, number one fan. fan. My and mom literally, listens too, I opened up her Instagram the other day and it was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say her name, but it's like, liked your post, liked your post, commented on your post, commented on your post. You're like, your yes. Post, shared your post. <laughs> Best fan ever. It was like 15 things in a row. I was like, oh, mom. Because she doesn't go on Instagram every that's day. That's amazing. So when she goes on, it. she like catches up. Oh, she's so Oh, cute. I love it. Because that's what my mom does too. <sighs> Anyways, I was lucky because my mom was a ballerina, which, you know, to be stereotypical, I think ballerinas t- typically struggle with eating. It actually, um, one of my statistics <sighs> was Girl, about how, yeah, most um, dancers... Okay. Like yes. women dancers and male dancers have like the highest risk um, out of athletes, like in gymnasts too. But dancers was like the number one. Um, and Miss America 2008 just came to my church and talked. I'll post yes. her picture Ooh, when we perfect. release this. Ooh. She was a ballerina. I'm going to have to edit that clap out because that's going <laughs> to deafen people. <laughs> she, oh, um, awesome. she came and spoke about her battle with anorexia nervosa and she was a ballerina. Cool. She was a dancer. So... I mean, I can tap oh, into her story that, a little yeah. bit, but I'll uh, I'll post her picture. I took a picture with her. Yeah. You can tell who's Miss America and who's not. <laughs> Brooke, <laughs> I feel really good about myself. I'm so short, and it's you're really not that much shorter than her. It looked you looked like normal. I've had because I'm She's five so like pretty. eleven. Yeah, oh my gosh, you're so, okay. Okay, we're stop. gonna stop going down this. Road. Yeah, let's stop. But anyways, what I was saying was about my mom. I'm very lucky because she's a dancer. She's a ballerina dancer, and I don't know. And she was a model. She's built very small. I mean, she's always had, yeah, she's, she's struggled putting weight on for a long time. So, um, and I was, you know, genetically or whatever, even as far as I know that she hasn't shared or whatever, an eating disorder or disordered eating or anything like that. She's always had like a super positive body image, had that for me, super positive with me. And I think too, part of it was for her being in that industry Luckily, the time period she was in it, and we've had this conversation with her before, I think they weren't looking for the type of thin that they're looking for now or Mm -hmm. in the 90s or early 2000s. She was still part of that, like, a healthy body. Not healthy, (laughs) necessarily. But, like, even when she was modeling and dancing, they wanted her to put weight on. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Not that, that like... Exactly. So now it's just always thinner is better, thinner is better. Closest to a skeleton is better or whatever. So I think... I don't know. Maybe I'll talk to her more about it. Maybe this will spark a conversation with her. But I think part of that has been really good. And then the damage she saw disordered eating happen to her friends, like close people to her. I think she was really intentional with me. And I have my dad's body, so it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. But anyways, that's interesting about the genetics. It's interesting about dancing. I can totally see that. Yeah, and just in in general, it said like athletes, athletes um, especially sure. the higher higher you go up. Like if you're yes. a Division One athlete versus like Division Three athlete, you know you're going to see more eating disorders and like those higher. Yeah, it's the pressure. It's the pressure mm-hmm. to compete. It's the pressure you know put on you by your spouse or your spouses, not your spouses. Oh my gosh, by if your spouse is putting that on you by yourself, them. by yourself, um, by your coach, by your team, whatever, to prepare to perform, you know, um, the closest thing we had was our volleyball 
coach told us not to eat dairy before games. Who are you to tell me not to eat dairy? She probably didn't want you to poop on the court. Poop on the court. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want you pooping and farting all over. Gassy on the court. Ugh. Um, But speaking of exercise, 40 to 80% of anorexia patients do excessively exercise. Okay, we need to halt. Halt. We need to talk about what is anorexia, what is bulimia, what is binge eating. Like, let's back that up. Oh, back to the top of the podcast in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just, like, move this back. Okay, so. So which ones did you, anorexia nervosa? Bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder. Cool. So anorexia nervosa is when you have a distorted body image and you're restricting. Usually it coincides with an intense fear of gaining weight um, and you are aiming for weight loss. And typically you have amenorrhea, which means no period Mm -hmm. for a while, which can lead to bone density problems that is irreversible. Um, Do you have anything else with the diagnosis? I believe that was everything that the DSM-5 said. Yeah, no, I had the same thing. You kind of touched on it, but like the extreme body dysmorphia too Mm -hmm. that um, they experienced, I think was the biggest eye-opener to me when I first learned about it was like when women who visually to us our judgment that we don't know anything about their life but you can judge someone from the outside going oh my gosh you're so thin you're so tiny you're so you know whatever so frail looking and they still think they're fat Mm -hmm. that's the thing I think to me was really halting when I first learned about this disorder or first have encountered someone with this disorder, which I have several people yeah, that I know. one of my friends, yeah. Sure. Know. So it's like, and it's so hard because we see it really clearly. And that's not fair because you can't judge and it could be something different. But a lot of times you can visually pick someone out that's really on the far end extreme. Um, and at the same time, so although that can be true, someone can have anorexia nervosa and not look like it. They can look thin, but not right. sick. Or even overweight and still anorexic. Yeah, typically that's more with bulimia. Yeah, and the binge, binging disorder. What is it called? Binge eating disorder. disorder. Yeah. So, and I think, but it's interesting because people tend mentally, and this is something we learned from that woman who came in and spoke at our school, was mentally people will say, oh, I'm not sick enough to have an eating disorder. Because my BMI is blah, 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 you know, whatever. Or because my weight is this, I'm not sick enough to have anorexia. Or I'm, I don't look thin enough. Or other people haven't commented on my thinness, so I'm not or sick enough. Or you can't check into a... a yeah. Remember? We That's, had patients yes. like that. Um, where you they're not can't, thin enough. They're not thin enough to be checked into. Like their BMI isn't low enough. Yeah, it's like they are sick. Like right. they need help. And now, It's a mental disorder. Yeah. And sometimes that comes through on your body, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes your body has really strong starvation mode, you know, where you actually don't lose weight even though you're not eating, but you're doing severe damage to your thyroid and your heart and your liver and all Mm -hmm. these things that are breaking down your muscle basically to feed yourself. Um, But I thought that was really interesting. But just the body dysmorphia was like the biggest eye-opener to me because it can be so apparent in certain people that you're just blown away that they still think they okay. need to lose more weight. Yeah, have and you that's seen that, that fear? Have you seen that picture of a girl looking in the mirror and she has a normal body? Yes. Yeah. Um, or sh- she in has a sickly body. Yes. And she's looking in the mirror and it's like a normal body, yes. but she's like thinking that she's fat or overweight. Right. When she's like sickly thin. Yeah. Um. 
Do you have anything else on the what anorexia is? Nope. Mm-mm. Okay, and then bulimia nervosa, it is binge eating um, with feeling like the sense that you've lost control. Um, mm-hmm. And then to get rid of it, it, you purge. So typically it's vomiting, but it can be through laxatives. It can be through diuretics, fasting, excessive exercise, medications. Um, and it has insulin, I saw. Yeah, that's something else I was going to talk about. The diabulimia, that's yeah. for type 1 diabetics. Yeah. They'll restrict insulin to lose weight, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. Um, and once a week for three months is what, like, the diagnostic term is. Oh, I is. thought that was for binge eating disorder. Both of them. Oh, okay. I found that for bulimia oh, and good. binge eating. That it, you have to well, do... Well, nice that it's both. <laughs> it once a week for three months... And you're not necessarily underweight. Like, I actually had a friend right. in high school who was bulimic, and um, she was, like, a normal weight. She wasn't yeah. overweight, but she right. was very normal. And I think that's the big thing with eating disorders, like, mentally and, like, diet culture tells us, like, oh, you're not thin enough to have, be sick or have disordered eating or eating disorder if you're not thin. And that's absolutely not true. Like, you can have any of these disorders, really, including orthorexia, and be any weight, you know? And mm-hmm. I think... This was true, especially when I was in my um, clinicals, learning about malnutrition and the signs of malnutrition, even though someone's BMI was, you know, high or whatever, which we all know BMI is crap anyways, but it is a tool that's used, especially in a hospital setting. You see someone's BMI and you don't think they could be malnourished, but they are. And so your body acts in a malnourished state, even regardless of what your weight is at. So I think... That's something to keep in mind and be sensitive about that someone could absolutely have one of these eating disorders and be any weight. It's not just the people that you look at and are clearly struggling. Struggle. Speaking of of struggling. Speaking of struggle, Bess. Um, Yeah, and again, with the binge eating disorder is the fear of gaining weight. It's that intense fear, really, of gaining any sort of weight. And that's the difference between um, anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa versus, like, binge eating disorder or versus, like, orthorexia. Uh Is orthorexia, you don't have that intense – you could, but you don't necessarily have that intense fear of gaining weight. Yeah, it's not weight-centric. It's Mm health-centric, like avoiding cancer or avoiding heart disease or, you know, thinking that you're poisoning your body because your banana isn't organic or something like that, so – yeah, and then binge eating, like we we kind of already touched on, because I miss <laughs> whatever I wrote it down wrong, but it's the one time a week for three months, and you rapidly eat even when you're not hungry to a place of uncomfortable fullness to the point of literally being sick. Mm-hmm. So I've heard some, I've heard a few podcasts of people talking about. I can't really listen, honestly. I can't. It's hard for me to listen to people that have anorexia or bulimia. Um, however, I have listened to a few episodes about binge eating. And when people talk about it, they're like, oh, I would sit down and eat an entire thing of Oreos by myself. Or you're eating in secret. Or, you know, you're, I don't know, ordering several meals out at a fast food restaurant and eating all of them until you're physically sick. You know, and I, a lot of those stories were like kind of eye-opening because I think a lot of people confuse, um, like we all have binges. Right. Like we've all binged in our life. Totally. Like Girl Scout cookies. Halloween candy. <laughs> Fridays. <laughs> Every Friday. No. Yeah. Um, but this is something that goes to an extreme of um, a lot of, like, what I saw, too, is that they, like, are hiding 
they're they're in like they're like ashamed, so they're yes. hiding it. Yeah. Whereas when I've alone. binged, I've been like, hey, I'm gonna eat these all these cookies, and you better not touch them. <laughs> yeah, like don't judge me. I'm eating all this. I'm yeah. so hungry. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. And I, like a lot of times, we've talked about this a lot in diet culture. And when you start to have those feelings of inadequacy, your body's not right, you're not happy with the way that you look, you feel shame, you feel guilt put on you by either yourself or someone that you know or online, and you decide to go on a diet, and either A, you binge before the diet starts, or you binge as soon as you're done with the diet, or you can't make it any longer on the diet and you binge, or you literally are not feeding yourself, so your (laughs) stress levels and your hormone levels go so deep down that you need to binge on usually carbohydrates to get that glucose level back up. That's a hormonal response. This is a binge eating disorder. That's a mental neurological disorder that you eat to the point of literally making yourself sick for really, they can't really technically find a reason. They used to think it was like emotional eating and things like that, but Mm -hmm. really it it seems, I think it's just all I think it's very similar to like bulimia nervosa. Right. It's just you're not purging. Yeah. Which we hate And it is more common... Totally. It is more I common than um, anorexia and bulimia nervosa. I believe that for sure. And I don't know, like, the you're doing it one time a week for three months. I feel like that's a really lax way to diagnose it. Like, I know. You're probably doing months. it more often. <laughs> yeah, per, I would think so. I don't more know. More than once a week, but... I wouldn't consider... I definitely have had binges, but I wouldn't say that I have been eating this <laughs> No, exactly. And also, I mean, the amount of food these people would eat, like, in, in the stories that I've heard. Right. It's, like, an absurd amount. Right. I mean, you... Like, I've... Yeah, I've been like, oh, I ate a whole pizza by myself. I'm really full. Yeah. But how many yeah. people do that on a daily basis? <laughs> once a week, three yeah. times, every month. Um, yeah, so those are the three that we're covering today. And then the orthorexia, like we said, we did a whole episode on before... Um, I did. Oh yeah, sorry. Binge eating is three times more common than anorexia and bulimia combined. And 40% are male who have binge eating and then 60% are female who have binge eating. 40% are male? Yeah. That's pretty high. I feel like. I know. That surprises me. So I found just eating disorders in general. This is my other statistic. My one of, my two of two so far, um, 20 million women in America have eating disorders, like diagnosed. And 10 million have eating disorders diagnosed in the U.S., which I thought 10 was quite high for men. And I do know that it's on the rise. Mm-hmm. Men, men, men eating, man eating, <laughs> man eating disorders. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're eating men. Men eating men disorders for men. <laughs> yes. Is on the rise faster than women at this point. Not always. It's obviously been more women in general. But this year, like these last few years, they've found that the the rate that it's increasing in men is much higher, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and it said that um, more at-risk men are athletes, so, like, people who are bodybuilders or people who are wrestlers. So athletes are, like, really high risk. totally see that. And then also it actually said that, like, more males who are homosexual um, have higher rates, just like that community is having higher rates now, and I don't know why specifically, but it just said that they're, they're finding that with more men. Yeah. So, and that, so I think it's like interesting because I think, um, just in general men, and this is just my assumption, there's no data to back this up or anything, but men in general, I think are just becoming more vulnerable about sharing what they might be going through. Mm -hmm. And I think that eating disorders is something that maybe they weren't open to, you know, admitting to 
at one point and now that maybe they're admitting to it more often or what, you know, so I don't know if it's actually more prevalent in women or if it's just women, you know, get help for it more often. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and men actually die. They have a higher risk of dying because of a late diagnosis compared to women. Wow. Yeah. So the biggest thing with eating disorders is early intervention. I mean, the earlier, the better. So I think that, you know, it comes into paying attention to what your kids are doing because a lot of eating disorder patients, they start around um, prepubescent like time. Um, right when, like Brooke was saying, I think you said it in the last episode about the elementary school. Is that this episode? Yeah, that was the last episode of elementary school. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, 5% of adolescent girls meet the criteria for anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating disorder. And then adolescent girls, 13% of them have disordered eating, like non-specific disordered right. eating, which is 13% is a lot. Right. And when you think about, like you talked about, this is like a gateway, like disordered eating can, if left untreated or, you know, not caught early enough or early intervention can lead to a full blown eating disorder. It is a sliding scale. So once, or a slippery slope is the words that I was looking for, but it is a slippery slope. Once you start the disordered eating patterns can easily be a full blown eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some of the women that I've talked to with it, it can happen to them based on like a weird comment that sticks in their brain. Um, it can be, you know, something, a picture that's taken of them. It's really, there was like this gun analogy that basically was like, you know, the bullet is the eating disorder and it only fires when certain things all come together at the right time in their life, which is really sad. And I think, so I think as moms and dads of kids, you know, you need to be really hyper vigilant about how your kid is treating food and make sure that you're, you know, nipping any bad disordered eating in the bud. And I talked about this in my Instagram, but it's funny because there's so many accounts out there that help parents feed kids and it's so important and I love the work that they're doing. But at the end of the day, if you have disordered eating um, or a full-blown eating disorder, you can't expect your kids to not have any of that rub off on them. They will absolutely have it rub off on them, even if you think you're doing a good job of hiding it. Like they pick up on that, even if you're... And what we say in front of our kids is so important, but also like our actions are so important. So if, even if we don't say anything in front of our kids, if we're avoiding certain foods or skipping meals, like our kids are going to think that that's okay. Checking our weight. Like, yeah. Checking our weight obsessively or like even every day. Like that's a lot. Talking about it with your friends over the phone or even little comments I heard um, on this podcast the other day. This girl was saying, oh, I remember growing up and my mom always had this thing. Anytime someone would comment on her weight, she would say, always working on it, always getting there, almost there, working on it. And she said that just stuck in my head that working on your weight is something you should always have to do. You're never going to get to an end point, like all these things. And she said that it really affected her, even though her mom was super loving and cared for her Mm -hmm. and wanted the best for her and always had food available and everything did everything quote unquote right. She still, even this one little comment has now stuck in her head and now she just feels like it's always something she wants to work on is her weight Mm -hmm. because that's how her mom did it. And I think, you know, we want to be good role models and we're not, no one's ever going to be a perfect parent um, for sure. But this is something that if you want to work on getting your eating and your relationship with food under control, it will help your kids immensely just by avoiding the diet culture, by avoiding getting into this mentality of disordered eating in the first place. Cause it's so hard to dig your way out. It's so hard. Once you start down that path, 
it's a really strict cycle that we've talked about before because it all depends on where you're getting your media from, how you view yourself, your positive body image or negative body image, how you view food, if you think of it as the enemy or something you want to avoid, or something that's on your side to help you and fuel your body and have fun and enjoy. (laughs) Ashton. Ashton really enjoyed his breast milk, and now he's uh, letting it all hang out. So He's smiling at me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Can we talk about depression a little bit? I would love to talk about depression. Okay. So, (laughs) if you have an eating disorder, 94% of people with eating disorders have depression. 94? 56% have anxiety. 20% have OCD. 22% have PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And 22% have substance abuse. And 37% self-harm. So it it just goes to show that, like, eating disorders are not about food at all. Right. It is, I mean, it is a mental illness. It is usually, you know, control does have a lot of, a lot to do with it. It's feeling like you have control in this one aspect of your life when you feel like you don't have control in other aspects of your life. Huh. Um, and actually, it's the second most deadly mental illness after opioid addiction. And I also found a statistic that said one in five who had anorexia have death by suicide. Really? So well, I don't know if you know that what? means if you die young, like... Yeah. You, I did find that suicide rates are exceptionally high in this population. Yeah. I didn't get a rate because I didn't look at the numbers. But I did yeah. see that suicides are very high. And in that um, arena of just having an eating disorder, the rate is higher than, you know, average. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, unfortunately. But if you have a negative body image, I can see how that could spiral out of control, which is really, really sad. And I think... Um, You know, as far as getting into recovery, like Brooke said, it's a team approach. Um, You want to work with so many people. I remember literally in college learning about how to be a dietitian to eating disorders and being like, this is not, this is outside of my scope. Like, I don't have anything to do with this. This is all neurological. Like, I'm not a therapist, you know. And I I still agree with that to some extent. I don't think, like we talked about, I don't think the dietitian is the primary role. And in fact, a lot of times the dietitian can, I think some dietitians can do, yeah. Harm, for sure. Yeah. Because they make meal plans or calorie goals and they tell them, oh, your weight needs to be this. Your calories need to be this. And you can't talk talk about those things. Right. (laughs) And that's hard because that's part of our, you know, like Brooke and I, a lot of our cancer patients, we do talk about calorie goals and we talk about energy, like high calorie foods. And we talk about what's your weight today and you checked your weight last week and what was it and compare. And that's very triggering to someone with an eating disorder. So, you know, and I don't, for anyone who's healthy, who's not trying to beat cancer, um, I don't recommend weighing yourself regularly because it can totally mess with your head. And there's so much that goes into it more than, actually I had this patient the other day I was going to tell you, who asked me, they said, I did the calculation and if he gets, you know, I, I don't even know, it was like 2,600 calories and he's this size, he should gain about a pound to every two days, right? Like she was doing this math. And I, I wanted to be like, I understand that you think 3,500 calories equals a pound. So if he eats 3,500 calories, he'll gain a pound. Not how it works. <laughs> right. It's yeah. just not how we're all just built so differently. And how many times I feel like in school were we actually taught like that, oh, it's just the numbers. It's just a numbers game. Well, that doesn't really play out because no. for some people it does and it works perfectly and oh, my body metabolizes the same every day. Most people are not like that. <laughs> so 
Um, but yeah, so I think dietitians sometimes can be triggering. So you have to be trained, you know, sen- you know, get sensitivity training, understand how to talk to people about their eating disorder and avoid the conversation of weight or anything triggering. But now the older I get and the more into like intuitive eating I get, I think there is a role for dietitians in recovery, you know? So once that they've worked with a therapist, gotten to a point of admitting that they do have an eating disorder, I think dietitians can be really helpful in teaching them how to be intuitive eaters, how to relearn and listen to their body and how to make good food choices for them. I also think there is actually this really interesting Instagram, I don't know if it's a group, but an Instagram hashtag, I'd love to find it and post it. But basically it was people with eating disorders who were making their food really beautiful, like really gorgeous food spreads that was actually like very therapeutic to them to actually have beautiful food for them that they created and enjoyed the process of creating that then they actually, the studies showed that they ate more of that food than when they just like got a meal plan, had it delivered, (laughs) ate the food. Like, so again, going back to, it's not about the food. It's about your mental state around that food, which I thought was really interesting. I'd like to find that and post it because it was a really beautiful, I don't know. It was just a really beautiful representation of how important it is for us to take care and energy into what we're eating. You know, I don't know. It was cool. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people who suffer from like anorexia nervosa too, like they won't necessarily like if they're eating a meal with you, they may be playing with their food or like cutting it up a lot. Yeah. So you may not notice, like they may still right. attend meal times with you, you know? So there are different symptoms that you can kind of keep your eye out for that you may not necessarily like easily see that they're just ditching lunch every day. Like right. they may come, they may order something that doesn't mean that they're really eating anything. Or even especially with, bulimia like you won't necessarily see them and in fact they'll actually hide it from you that they're throwing up their food or taking laxatives or something I actually gosh what was that MTV show that I'm so embarrassed that I watched but I totally did it was like my I know what you're talking about what was that called Um, and they had different like addictions yeah one of them I watched was binge eating or um, bulimia nervosa. And this uh-huh. girl was, I'm not kidding, hiding Tupperware. Like, not like small Tupperware. Like, big Rubbermaid Tupperware that we, like, throw all of our shoes in down in our basement full of puke under her bed. What? Yes. Why she wasn't had she it in, her in the closet? Toilet? Because so many people were noticing her going to the bathroom after every meal that she started excusing herself to her room or her like or to the bathroom or outside or go to her car and she would puke in like bags or whatever she had on her and then dump it in these rubber bins so no one had any clue that she had this disorder. And might I add, according to <laughs> stereotypes she was not thin like she was not like a very thin gaunt woman who you're like oh you clearly have an eating disorder like you would not have known and this Mm -hmm. girl was so sneaky about it and I just remember being like and oh it showed it on tv and I was like that your room must smell to high heaven yeah but you don't notice it when you're sick you know when you're mentally sick like that you don't notice that you have a smell your teeth are yellowing rotting you know like there are a lot of signs and symptoms, but sometimes people don't see it. They hide it really well. So Dentists actually diagnose bulimia oh, nervosa a decent totally. amount because they see, like, why are you 20 years old or 15? Right. Why are your teeth rotting? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, they can tell because it make sense. the yeah. acidity. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I could totally see that. 
Um, um, yeah. Yeah, there is this checklist online that I wanted to talk about that I found from a dietitian who gave a presentation at, like, the eating disorder awareness. Um, they have, like, a function every year. And I thought it was really interesting. It's, like, a little checklist of kind of, like, am I at risk for a feeding eating disorder? Like, do I, you know, do I have some of these tendencies? So am I terrified about being overweight? Avoid, do I avoid eating when I'm hungry? Do I find myself preoccupied with food? Have I gone on eating binges with, that I feel I may not be able to stop? Do I cut my food into small pieces? Am I aware of the calorie content of all the foods that I eat? Part, do I particularly avoid foods with high carbohydrate content? Do I feel that others would prefer if I ate more? That was an interesting one to me. Like Yeah, like people have been making comments. Making comments, like, yeah. Like, oh, oh, you, you didn't eat, eat very much. much. Yeah. Eat, go eat a cheeseburger. Eat a sandwich. Um, do I vomit after I've eaten? Do I feel extremely guilty after I've eaten? Am I preoccupied with the desire to be thinner? Do I think about burning up calories when I exercise? So, like, a lot of times I feel like it became really common for people to be like, one Reese's peanut butter cup equals 265 jumping uh, jacks. Yes, I know. Well, and I've it. totally been guilty of that, being like, oh, I'm going to go work it off. Like, yes. I'm going to go work off my Halloween candy. Like, I've totally said that. Work it off. Ass. I feel like work it off is, like, the very slang version of, like, low-key disordered thought process of, like, oh, I'll just work it off. It's fine in the morning or whatever. But, like, it's not how the human body works. And I've talked about this before, but, like, unhinging working out and eating as two separate events. So you work out because you want to feel good and you want your body to become stronger and you're, you know, you're interested in the mental health benefits that come with working out and you eat because you need to eat. And those are separate events and that, that's not how it works anyways you can't work off a Reese's peanut butter cup you're right you ate it and you can also it doesn't, work out yeah and <laughs> calories in doesn't necessarily mean like right that you have to expend that amount like I feel like the quality of your food is very different than the amount of calories in your food yeah you know if you eat 2,000 calories a day totally. and it's like all fruits and vegetables and high quality meats and then you eat a thousand calories a day of like processed low calorie low fat like foods that aren't real i mean right what are you like you're helping your body so much more by eating and it literally changes the thermodynamics of your food like the metabolism that happens after eating changes based on what like brooke said the content so um where else was i other people think that I'm too thin. Am I preoccupied with the thought of having fat on my body? Do I take longer than others to eat my meals? Avoid foods when sh- when there's sugar in them? Do I eat diet foods? Feel that foods controls my life or controls my thoughts? Display self-control around food and feel that others pressure me to eat. So this is one, they call it Eat 26, um, one tool to screen for eating disorders. There are several. There's the edge tool, bed screening, female athlete screening tool, and a scoff tool. Um, the these are just some of them that they talked about. But um, so those screening methods could be really good, even just self-assessment. Um, or if you, you know, are in care of like a loved one or something, they can screen you for it. Or you can have, you know, screen your kids for it. Or talk with a therapist, actually go over it with a dietitian or a therapist or a doctor and go through, you know, that whole process. But I thought it was interesting because I think, you know, some things that people... I've heard stories, and this is all just anecdotal, but I've heard stories of people being like having it trigger in their head because they go from, I'm not that sick, I'm not that thin, I'm not thin enough to be sick, I don't think I'm sick, I have control over it, doesn't have control over me, I think I'm fine, you know, I think I'm healthy, I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to get healthy, and that's what a lot of people say, 
when they hear, you know, something that I just listed and it triggers like, oh gosh, I do do that. Or I do spend most of my time thinking about what I'm going to eat or how I'm going to avoid eating or how I'm going to excuse myself to go throw up. Or the other one that I, you know, talked about, or I wanted to say was malnutrition, that these can lead to malnutrition and they call it like the four C's of malnutrition. So are you cold, crabby, constipated, or do you have poor circulation? And I thought that was really interesting because one of the podcasts I was listening to just today, she was talking about how her biggest triggering factor was when she sat down with a dietitian who she was just trying to get healthier Mm -hmm. and the dietitian asked her, are you cold all the time? And she said, yes. And that one little question, not that everyone who's cold all the time has an eating disorder, but that one little question led down a rabbit hole of figuring out that she was very disordered in her eating. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and even, like, I remember hair falling out, brittle nails, like, skin color. The teeth issue, like you said, the rotting yellow teeth. Yeah, so, I mean, those are other, like, things that you can kind of tell, whoa, that you can kind of tell from somebody physically. Right. So, and then, um, like we talked about, we're not here to cure anybody or (laughs) treat you or tell you what to do, but the treatments for um, these eating disorders... First of all, they're highly individualized and specialized to the person because everyone's different in how they're mentally aware and thinking. Sometimes it's medication. Um, A lot of times it's a combination of therapy um, and medication and especially treating things like the symptoms like depression or anxiety um, to take care of yourself first, but then also eventually working towards the goal of being intuitive eaters and listening to your body. And unfortunately, right after, right during an eating disorder, you probably don't have the cues to say, oh, I'm hungry. You know, your body, mm-hmm. you've suppressed them for so long that your body has probably stopped telling you when it's hungry, when it's full, what type, types of food you need. So you need to rebuild that trust with someone um, one-on-one. So, but eventually that goal is to be an intuitive eater and listen to your body and find what a healthy wet or wet, healthy weight or set point is for you. Um, so yeah, anything else you want to do? Treatment-wise? Um, not treatment-wise. I just, um, a few other statistics I found that I thought were interesting was that 50% of teen girls and 33% of teen boys either skip meals, fast, smoke cigarettes to lose weight, vomit, or takes laxative. Gosh. That's a I lot. I forgot about smoking cigarettes. That is something, mm-hmm. I've had several of my friends say, oh, I need to lose weight for this wedding, or I need to lose weight so for I'm this. Gonna, I'm, I'm going to pick up smoking. smoking. Yeah, because it, nicotine does, you know, suppress your appetite. And all that's doing, like if you're in full-blown eating disorder and you have these risks of, you know, heart failure, like you're short of breath all the time or you can't even walk short distances without getting out of breath or cold or tired, you know, those kind of symptoms. And then you add smoking on top of that. That is It's trouble. a recipe for disaster. For yeah. sure. Um, and then another statistic I found was just, When you have anorexia nervosa and you lose your period for over six months, it can cause irreversible um, osteopenia, which is like bone density loss. And 50% of people that had anorexia nervosa have abnormal CT scans of their brain. Oh, yeah. You were talking about that with me. Yeah. That's insane. So it does do some sort of like brain damage to what extent I'm not sure I haven't read these CTs but I did read something about um, orthorexia and other eating disorders basically leading a higher um, there's a higher percentage of people who experience eating disorders 
in their life at any one point leading to dementia or Parkinson's more frequently. That makes sense, yeah. When you think about probably because of how demonized fat's been and how important fat is. Fat helps prevent, I mean, studies are starting to show that if you do eat a higher fat diet, it it can cause, uh, or it can help prevent like Alzheimer's. Uh, yeah. So if you're eating low fat all the time and starving yourself, you actually, yeah, you can cause. I could totally see you could, like, like trigger those things. The mechanism happen. of action of that happening, like how that road would be done. So, anyways, yeah. So as far as treatment, um, therapy, speaking with a doctor, eventually getting to intuitive eating, they talked a lot about creating new memories around food. So if your eating disorder comes from trauma around food, whether that's something as simple and honestly as like your parents getting divorced and you were forced to eat two meals and to go to two birthdays and two Christmases and you, you know, never felt control over what you're eating or you didn't feel control in your family life and you started to try and take control via food, you know, things as simple as that all the way to something super complex like getting abused or, you know, physically or sexually abused can often lead to these eating disorders but basically any sort of trauma, they talk about creating new memories with food and how important that is. Um, And that's kind of like what I was talking about, about creating beautiful food, those new memories and new appreciation for food. Oh, Ashton. (laughs) (laughs) He is really creating a nice, nice surprise for mom over there. But anyways, I thought that was kind of cool. Good way to put it, like create new memories with food, new relationships with new foods, you know, experiencing new foods. Learning to trust your body again. Um, yeah. And working on your body image, which is one of the saddest things, but um, working on that body image because everyone really truly deserves to have a good body image, regardless of what body you're in right now. And a good relationship with food. And yeah, just yeah. keep in mind like, if you know somebody that's suffering from an eating disorder, it's not just that they, it, oh, it's just as simple as they want to lose weight or. Right. Just they just want to have control. I mean, it really is. There's so many factors that lead to it. And food it really has nothing to do with it. Right. You know? And I do think probably better not to say anything if you don't know what to say. Um, or ask someone how you can help them. You know, what you can do. But Maybe reach them. out to their parents yeah. even. Or if they're married, a spouse. Like yeah. reaching up out to somebody who is closer. Right. Maybe. So that they don't feel like they're getting attacked. Exactly. And all they're going to do is just find better, newer ways to hide it. They're not, you know. So be cautious of how you speak to people. You don't know what they're fighting. You don't know what they're going through. And not all people who are, you know, super thin have an eating disorder. (laughs) That's the other thing, too, that I feel like my mom has probably struggled with. But other people that I know that they're just naturally thin. And that's okay. You don't have to worry about what they're eating or, you know, anything like that. Try to pay attention and care for people the best you can. But do it with love and in love and... Um, don't speak out of turn. Don't trigger people. And if you don't know what to say, just don't say anything because, you know, work, they need to figure it out on their own with their doctors. Yeah. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of people just kind of have to hit their own rock bottom, whatever that their definition of rock bottom is. Right. And I think a big thing that I have always, you know, took to heart is the closer you are to someone and like the closer, the better relationship you have and you feel like you can confront them in a nice, respectful way while showing that you care about them, that's fine. But don't go up to a stranger that you've never met and tell them to eat a sandwich. Don't go up to someone that you don't have a good relationship with and tell them they have anorexia. You have no idea what their life is. You don't know where they're coming from. Like, what what if they have chemo? Like, what if they went through chemo because they have cancer? Totally. A thousand things could be true. Um, So just be cautious. It's a a tentative, 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 tenuous. 
attenuative. It's a tough topic. I'm going to block all that out. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram at diet.riot.podcast. Let us know what you'd like to hear next. And you can also email us any questions you have at hello at dietriotpodcast.com. See you next week. Bye. Bye.